uh, I have a sad thing that I need to share with you, and, uh, and then we'll take our break in just a moment. But I received uh, resignation letters from Dean and Karen Siskoyas this week. Uh, they've been part of our staff for about a year and led important ministries. Dean has uh, been in charge of, of a lot of our connection ministries and that sort of thing. Karen has been our kids' ministry team leader back in the back, and you know what a good job she's done with our kids' ministries. And, uh, and in their letter, they shared with me that uh, their business has been growing exponentially, really, and they've, they've added a bunch more projects. They own a, a cleaning business. And uh, as a result of working both for the church and with their business, uh, they, they've just been burning the candle at both ends. They've both gotten sick, and it's just gotten to be too much. And so they decided they had to step down from ministry here at Connect. And I'm just really, really sad. I just have to tell you, I'm just so sad about it. Dean and Karen are dear friends of ours. And, uh, and so I'm going to miss them terribly. They're not going anywhere. Uh, they, they wanted me to make the announcement this week. And, uh, but they said they're going to take a few weeks off to just rest and recuperate, and I totally respect that, but they're going to be jumping back in as volunteers here at Connect is what they've assured me. And so um, I, I just I already have a hole in my heart. But I want to ask all of you to pray for two things, if you would. Uh, can we just pray for Dean and Karen that the Lord will just heal them in every way and bring them back to full health? And then secondly, this is a time of transition for us, and so we're going to be looking for two new staff members here at Connect. Uh, it, it's hard on me. I like everything to just be the same, right? How many of you are like me? Okay, you, you get a good team and you want to stick with it. And, and so I'm, I'm just kind of having a hard time, and, and I just would appreciate if you all will just pray that the Lord will bring the right people at the right time and, and we'll just take Connect Church to the next level. So can we just pray about that right now, and then we'll take our break. So Jesus, I just want to thank you again for giving gifts to the church. That's what, uh, that's what Ephesians 4 calls the, the faithful, equipped leaders in every church, gifts. And Dean and Karen have been gifts to Connect Church. They have blessed us tremendously. And we want to pray for them, Lord, in this transitional time, God, that you will bring them back to full health, Lord, in every way. I pray, Lord, that the, the colds and the sicknesses that have been in their household uh, and, and that they've just been suffering with, Lord, that your healing power will rest upon them and bring them back to full health. And Lord, as they minister out of uh, staff leadership into other areas of ministry, Lord, I pray that you will guide and direct their steps and and, and, and I, I just pray for your grace and favor in their lives. And for Connect Church, Lord, as we now look for new leaders, uh, we pray for your provision. We ask you to bring the right people to fill these spots and to lead our ministries effectively. And God, uh, we just trust you, knowing that you know the beginning from the end, and we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be all worked up. You've got this. I know you do. And so, Lord, help us to walk in faith. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate your continued prayers for all of that. Well, that was a Hollywood dramatization of the story that we covered last week in the first week of our message uh, that we're calling the Multiply Vision. If you were with us last week, you remember that story from Luke chapter 5. They took a little bit of artistic license with the filming of that story, and they left out two really important parts of the story. Do you remember what they were from last week? They had to get help. They called more fishermen and, and more boats. 
And so I thought that was a beautiful dramatization. But if you remember from last week, uh, we talked through this story, and it was significant that when they hauled in all of the fish, Peter called for more fishermen. James and John came and joined them, and they brought their boats. And uh, we talked about the fact that when Jesus said to Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men, we realize in that story that the story is not just a coincidence. It's not just something that happened, but it was a metaphor for the vision of Jesus. And I shared with you last week that the vision of Jesus is more fishes, and it's more fishermen, and it's more boats. And it directly relates to what our vision here at Connect is and what we're talking about in this message series. Our vision at Connect is to multiply. We want to multiply disciples. We want to multiply leaders. And we want to multiply churches. We believe that that's what God is calling us to do. And so uh, we're talking about that for these uh, weeks of this series. Um, If you haven't yet picked up message notes, they're right up here in the front on the stage. And there's some back at the Welcome Center if you want to grab some. And I also want to give a shout out to my assistant, Pam, right back there at the Kids Check-In Center. Pam is awesome. She made some books for anybody that would like to use some sort of organization system for your message notes. You'll notice that your notes are three-hole punched, and we now have these binders, and uh, she put a really beautiful cover on them, just made them look really good and connectified them, and, uh, and I really appreciate Pam doing that. And uh, they're free, so if you just want a binder, go back and grab one, and they're there for you to use uh, for your message notes. So uh, we want to talk about the vision of multiplying. I am a lover of dogs. Does anybody love dogs like I love dogs? All right. If you're a cat person, just keep your hand down. I don't really care about that. Uh, but I, I love dogs. And um, when Chris and I were first married for, for our very first Christmas, I got Chris a puppy for Christmas. And truth be told, it was probably more a present for me than it was for Chris. But, uh, but I gave her this beautiful little dachshund puppy. Uh, for our very first Christmas, and we named her Gretel. She arrived on Christmas Eve with a little red bow around her neck, and she was just a little red ball of fur. And uh, and and we loved her for 14 years. She was a good she was a good dog and a good mama dog and a good grandma dog because we bred her. Um, here here's a little secret about me. I love puppies. And uh, once my puppies grow up, I'm always ready for the next puppy because I love puppies. So Gretel was perfect because she was a fertile dog. And so we bred her. Uh, Her first litter produced these two little pups. How cute. There's nothing cuter than a dachshund puppy, let me tell you. They're just darling. And, And her first litter had those two pups, and Chris would not let me keep one. And so when, when Gretel came into season again, we bred her a second time, and this time she had three pups, and there's her second litter. And that middle one, the little black one, I don't know what it was about him, but he just stole my heart from the time he was born. I loved that puppy. And I remember my sister came over to our house, and I was holding that puppy, and, and my sister said to Chris, uh, and we hadn't been married very long, and, and Julie said, Chris, I don't know if you know it, but you're going to have to pry Russ's cold, dead fingers off of that puppy. There's no way he's going to get rid of that puppy. And she was right. I didn't say goodbye to Gilligan. And so uh, that was his name, and he lived with us for 12 years and just a really good buddy. But Gretel went on and had one more litter, and this time she had four puppies. She's got better and better every time. 
And uh, that picture's a little bit dark, but you can see on the right-hand side there's a puppy that's, that's reddish color. And Chris's mom and dad kept that, that puppy, and they named her Tatiana. So at, at one point, where we started with one dachshund, our family grew to have three dachshunds in the family. And then it wasn't long after that, Chris's mom decided that she wanted to start having puppies, but, uh, but she wasn't in a position in her life to have puppies, and she was a human. Uh, yes. <clears throat> Thank you for pointing that out, Brian. So uh, she, sent, she sent Tatiana to us, and we bred her with a male, and Tati had these four puppies, and, and once again, one of those puppies grabbed my heart and the upper right corner one, uh, little chocolate-colored, long-haired dachshund, his name is Bonsai, and he's still with us. And uh, so at, at one point, our family of dogs, oh, and, and, and they kept the other one on the left. So one, two, three, four. At one point, we had kept five dogs, and they were all alive at the same time from this one dog. And th- this is what living things do. Living things multiply, right? This is just basic biology 101. How many of you have taken biology? Okay, so you know all about the reproductive process. We're not going to draw charts and graphs or show more pictures, but living things <laughs> living things multiply. This is just a, 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 a rule of the way God created things. Living things multiply. But every once in a while, something happens that prevents living things from multiplying. Gretel, our first little dog, was, was Fertile Myrtle, and she, she had lots of puppies. She did a really good job. But um, the other dogs that we kept, uh, the male dogs, uh, once they came into their male nest, my wife said no more, and we sent them to the vet, and a little snip, snip, and the multiplying came to a stop. With that, And, and sadly now, uh, all the girls that we've had have all gone to the big dog park in the sky, and the males are all snipped, and so the multiplying is not happening in our dog family any longer. And, and that happens in humans sometimes, too. Sometimes human beings have some sort of a problem. They're not able to have children. Chris and I were never able to have biological children. Sometimes people choose not to have children. And so multiplying can stop for any number of reasons. And the same is true, I believe, of churches. I believe God created churches to multiply. And I shared that with you last week, that the vision of Jesus is for his kingdom to multiply. We're going to talk about that a little more today. Uh, Living things multiply. God created things to multiply, but sometimes... Churches get preoccupied with maintenance or whatever it is, and they cease to multiply. They cease to be on the mission with Jesus. And, and that can happen for any number of reasons. Sometimes people say, you know what? I like my church just the way it is. I, I don't want my church to grow. I don't want a bunch of strangers and weirdos and wackos that I don't know coming in and messing up the feng shui of my church. Okay, And, and I've never heard people say that exact thing. But, uh, but some people just get content, and they don't want a church to grow. Uh, when we uh, when we grew to the point that we had to add a second service, it was a period of, of growing pains for us because we were a small church and everybody knew everybody and all of a sudden now we had two services and some of the people that we loved deeply, if you were a first service person, you never saw the people that came to second service. And, and that can be emotional, it can be difficult. And some people say, I'm not going to choose to grow. And so something happens and a church becomes neutered. And I've seen that happen again and again and again, but I really believe that the vision of Jesus is that a church will multiply. 
And today, I, I want to share with you a little more of our vision, and I'm hoping that today you will catch sight of God's heart, and that you will come to understand the motive for multiplication, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles with you today, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. We've been reading uh, a version Bible reading plan from the beginning of the year, and I'm really glad to have so many of you on board with us. That reading plan is also printed out in the link, so if you want to read along with us but you don't use electronic devices, it's there for you. And if you've been reading along with us, you would have read this chapter with us this week, Luke chapter 13, which is very timely. And, and I want to see some teaching of Jesus when it comes to this idea of multiplication and what the motive for multiplication is. So let's pick up in verse 18 of Luke chapter 13. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It's like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden and it grows and becomes a tree and the birds make nests in its branches. Now, what we see here from the words of Jesus is that God's plan is for his kingdom to grow from something very, very small like a mustard seed to something so large that multiple birds can come and make nests in it. That's a picture of exponential growth. And it really shows us the motivation uh, that we have for multiplication, and it comes from the teaching of Jesus. And if you're taking notes, here's motivation number one. Motivation number one is multiplication is God's plan. Just plain and simple. Multiplication is God's plan. He created it this way, and Jesus said so. Let's keep reading there in Luke 13. Jesus goes on and, and, and he uses another illustration. Verse 20, he says, what else is the kingdom of God like? It is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. How many of you love yeast bread, homemade yeast bread? Is there anything better on the planet? I mean, it's so good. I can remember going to my grandmother's house, and, and she was this old German-Russian lady. She had this thick German accent, and I loved going to her home because she was usually baking something. And especially if she was baking that old-fashioned German yeast bread, man, every room in the house just smelled like bread baking, right? That's the yeast permeating the room. And, and, and what we see from this is that God's plan for his kingdom is to permeate the whole world. God's purpose for his kingdom is to permeate the whole world. And the way this happens is the power of multiplication. Now, Jesus went on in, in Luke chapter 13, and uh, the next part of the story is very interesting. I'm going to start reading at verse 22. It says, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. And someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? And this is a really odd question coming on the heels of this teaching about the mustard seed and the yeast in the dough, because it almost sounds like Jesus wants everybody to be saved. But now somebody asks him, Lord, are, are there really only going to be a few saved? Let's take a look at his answer. Verse 24, Jesus said, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom, for many will try to enter but will fail. 
And when the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door to us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. And then you will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. And then Jesus said this, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's the second motivation for multiplication. There will be a final judgment. There will be a final judgment. And Jesus was really clear about this. He wants his kingdom to permeate the whole world, but there are going to be people who say no to Jesus. And those people will stand under God's judgment. And I believe that if we have any compassion for people and where they're going to spend eternity, then we ought to be in the boat with Jesus, casting the nets as widely as we can. If we have any compassion for the people in our family, if we have any compassion for the people we work with and rub shoulders with, we ought to be casting nets and helping them reconnect to God because there will be a final judgment. But how many of you know this is hard? Last week I talked about our strategy of investing in people and spending time with people that don't know Jesus yet and, and having spiritual conversations with people. It's hard. But I, I just want to tell you a story about my wife because my wife is really good at this and I'm, I'm such a big fan of Chris Michaels. And uh, you can give her a woohoo because she's she really is awesome. I asked her to tell this story herself, but she has she doesn't do public speaking. So... I'm going to tell this story, and I'm going to make mistakes, and she's going to correct me from the back and just be, be forewarned. Uh, but Chris, when we lived in Great Falls, Chris worked at, at uh, the hospital there in Great Falls, and she had a coworker. Her name is Donna, and Donna is an awesome lady. But back in the day, uh, Chris would tell you that Donna was the most difficult coworker she ever worked with. Donna was somebody that just really couldn't be bothered with the mission of the team uh, when the work got when the work got really heavy and when there was an urgency, when there was a deadline, Donna would take a convenient smoke break and step out of the building. Uh, when everybody else was staying late, Donna would leave early. It, she was just one of those difficult coworkers. Anybody have one of those difficult coworkers? And it would have been easy, I think, for Chris to just become so embittered at Donna that she just really wouldn't care about where Donna spends eternity. But one day, Donna had a, a, a terrible heart uh, some sort of a heart attack or a heart problem at work at the hospital one day and they rushed her to the emergency room. And Chris went to the emergency room and was at Donna's side and it was obvious to Chris that Donna was terrified. And, and in reality, Donna was afraid that she was going to die right there on the table. And so Chris said to Donna, Donna, would it be okay if I prayed with you? That was a difficult conversation to have because Donna and Chris weren't buds. They were coworkers and it was a little bit cold. But Chris said, can I pray with you, Donna? And Donna said yes, and with tears in her eyes, she received prayer. She made it through that, that complication, and then Donna invited Chris and me to come over to her house not long after that. And Donna and I sat in their living room, and we prayed with Donna and her husband, Tom, and both of them received Jesus. And they became members of our church a short time later. And today, they're both serving Jesus and loving the Lord, and uh, they're going to spend eternity someday with Jesus instead of in hell. 
Why? Because Chris cast the net. She was in the boat with Jesus, and she cast the net, and she was willing to have a spiritual conversation, as uncomfortable as it was. But listen, I don't think Chris would have been motivated to share with Donna if she hadn't had a very palpable understanding that heaven and hell hang in the balance. There will be a final judgment. And if we have any compassion for people, we ought to be helping them reconnect to God. Now, we've been talking about Simon Peter and the boat that Jesus stepped into. You probably know the story about Peter. He followed Jesus. He became a disciple. He became a great missionary. Decades later, he began writing letters to Christians, and two of those letters have become part of our Bible. And I want to read part of what Peter wrote decades later after this experience that we just saw on the screen. In one of his letters, 2 Peter chapter 3, it's up on the screen if you don't want to turn there in your Bible. Here's what Peter writes decades after Jesus has ascended into heaven. He says, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come. And they're going to mock the truth and they're going to follow their own desires. And they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? Have you heard mockers say this? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Now, I'm sure you've heard people that said this, and, and if you're my age or, or older, you've been through the ringer with everybody making the predictions that the world's going to end on this date and Y2K, and pretty soon everybody just gets kept skeptical and let's be honest even as christians we've gotten a little jaded because everybody who said jesus is coming on this date has been wrong right and so we can all just kind of go there and say you know what everything just goes on and i i'm not sure that jesus really is coming soon at any point in time and peter's got an answer for every one of us who have ever had those thoughts verse 9 Peter said, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. Say the word patient. The Lord is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. And this is really important for us to see. Because it would be easy for us to say, I'm not sure there's going to be any judgment because... I've been alive a long time. I haven't seen Jesus yet. But, but Peter goes on and he finishes his thought this way. Look at verse 10. He says, but the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. And the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Listen, we've got to understand that judgment is real. But we've become complacent. And it's maybe because we've listened to the scoffers, or maybe we've even become the scoffers. We don't have an urgency anymore to cast the net because we've been sucked into the philosophies of our day that everything just goes on and on like it always has. But I believe that Jesus has given us a mission He told us in Matthew chapter 28, go and make disciples of all the nations. Go and make disciples. Here at Connect, we say that our mission is to help people reconnect to God. It's just a different way of rewording what Jesus has told us. Go and make disciples. 
And we serve this mission of helping people reconnect to God, not because we think we're right and they're wrong and not because we think our way of life is better than theirs, but I believe that people need to reconnect to God because if they don't, they will go to hell. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's an urgency here. People have got to reconnect to God so they don't go to hell. And God is being patient because he wants people to come to repentance. So there's an opportunity here for us. I want to read 2 Peter 3.9 in a different version. I like the way this one is worded. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. But he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It's not God's wish that anybody perish. But listen, this isn't some universalist message that in the end God's love wins and everybody goes to heaven because there really isn't a hell and it was all just smoke and mirrors. That's not the message here. God's not going to violate anybody's free will. God's not going to force anybody to receive Jesus. It doesn't work that way. But God doesn't want to send anyone to hell. He's being patient so more and more people can come to repentance and receive Jesus. And the mission is urgent. So now I want to ask the question, how do we multiply? What strategies are we going to employ to multiply disciples and leaders in churches? Last week I shared with you strategy number one, which was invest. Say invest. I hope you'll remember I got a text message this week from somebody that was in last week's service, and he texted me, and he said, I'm inviting friends over. I'm investing. I'm doing just what you said. Pray for me. So I prayed for him that God would give him opportunities to have spiritual conversations, and I'm so excited to hear when people are doing that kind of stuff. That's strategy number one. Here's strategy number two. Strategy number two is two by two. Two by two. And here's what I want you to remember. Pairing up puts the power of multiplication to work. When you pair up with another person and you're on mission, you're discipling someone, you're apprenticing a leader, when you're paired up for the work of the ministry, it puts the power of multiplication to work. Plus, it's a strategy that Jesus used. Now, if you've been reading through the book of Luke with us the last couple of weeks, you might have seen this. I was so excited when I, when I made this observation and I want to I highlight it for you. I want you to see what happens when we pair up. The first time we see Jesus pairing the disciples up is in Luke chapter 9, the first two verses. And uh, the same story is told in Mark chapter 6, verse 7. It's the same story in, in the two Gospels. And at this time, there were 12 disciples. And, and Luke and Mark tell us that Jesus sent the disciples out and gave them power to cast out demons and to heal the sick and to spread the news of the kingdom. And it says that they went out two by two. Jesus sent them out in pairs. Okay? That was in April 27 AD. And if you're curious about dates, there's a great website there that you can check out that puts all of the events of Jesus' lifetime into chronological order. Now, one chapter later, Luke chapter 10, we see a similar story. And this time, there's 72 disciples. Jesus sends them out in the same way, two by two, gives them power to heal diseases and to cast out demons and to spread the news of the kingdom. And this is just one chapter later, and it's a few months later that the 12 
have grown to 72. I think that's pretty awesome. But it doesn't stop there. Because just two chapters after that, Luke chapter 12, we read that after this, the crowds grew until there were thousands milling around and they were literally trampling one another. And this took place in October of November. So 12 became 72, 72 became thousands, and the multiplication just took off. And I want you to see today what happened to the mission of Jesus after the thousands began to multiply and work two by two. And in the last 2,000 years, multiplication has taken place, and I want you to see how Christianity has spread. Take a look at this. Isn't that awesome? That's the power of multiplication. But listen, friends, we're not done. We have campuses in two cities here in Montana. And in Great Falls, in Cascade County, there are 45,000 people that don't attend church of any kind, don't have any kind of a relationship with Jesus. Here in the Gallatin Valley, there's 52,000 people who don't attend church of any kind, have no relationship with Jesus. That's 97,000 people in our backyards that if they die tonight, they will go and spend eternity in hell. Do we need to multiply? I say hell yes. And the reason I say that is because if we don't multiply, people will go to hell. And we've got to do the job. We've got to get in the boat with Jesus. And we've got to cast the nets. I want to share some next steps with you, and then we'll close out today. Uh, And every next step that that is in your notes today starts with the words pair up. I want to challenge you to pair up. Join me in this strategy of changing the world by pairing up. And first of all, I want to invite you to pair up to cast the net. It's hard to share Jesus with people. I, I know that Chris and I were so much more effective when we paired up to go share the gospel with, with Donna and Tom. And so if you've got a good Christian friend or if you're married, pair up. Invest in people, yes, but pair up because it can just be so helpful to have a partner in casting the net. But the second one is where I just want to camp out for a minute today. And Desiree, I'm going to have you come and share. I want to invite you to pair up in discipleship relationships. Pair up in discipleship relationships. I am so fired up about what's coming. I, I, I'm just about jumping out of my skin. I've had this dream and I've, I've understood that discipleship happens most effectively one-on-one. I don't believe that discipleship is best done in some sort of a discipleship class. I believe that relationships are what change people's lives. And I've been mulling over this, and as we've been developing a strategy for multiplication, I've been asking the Lord, what's going to be our strategy for developing one-on-one discipleship relationships? And two weeks ago, uh, a connector came to me, called me up, and he was, when we met, he was literally shaking. He was so scared to share with me. But he said, the Lord has given me a dream. And he said, I just want to share it with you. When you started talking about multiply, I thought this might be something you can use. It's the missing link in what we're going to be launching as a, as a Connect Church family. And, uh, and, and what this is, Gabe Stevens, uh, that many of you know, Gabe and Shauna, his wife, 
Uh, Gabe is developing an online tool that can be used for one-on-one discipleship relationships. And it'll be a structure that you can walk through in, in a one-on-one time. You'll watch a short video, and then there's a number of discussions and reading assignments. It'll take about an hour each session. And so what we've decided to do is we're going to launch one-on-one discipleship relationships as a part of our small groups ministries. And so once our small groups launch next week, you're going to have an opportunity to get to know all the people in your small groups. And then at week three or four, your small group leader is going to help you facilitate the development of one-on-one or possibly groups of three that will meet for an additional one hour outside of the small group time to work on discipleship relationships. And you can use this online tool that Gabe is developing, or we've got some print materials that we'll give you as well. And I'm so excited because I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to help us to pair up and it's going to answer one of the missing pieces that we've, we've been waiting for for a long time. And the Holy Spirit is just putting this into place and it's so cool. But I can hear many of you already because the voices are in my head too. Many of you don't know I'm an introvert. Do, did you know that? You know? And so as soon as, as soon as somebody starts telling me this stuff, pair up with somebody, I'm like, I'm out, okay, because I'm an introvert, okay? Stop it. Okay, I'm just going to say that. Stop it. Okay? This is part of the vision of Jesus. So get over it. Let's make relationships. Let's make disciples and see where this goes. I want Desiree to explain a little bit more about what's happening with with Connection Group. But first, I got a joke. Why didn't Noah go fishing? Hey, did you read that? Well, he could have been smarter and multiplied them by cutting them in half. Oh. No, you, you've got no, more. Yeah. So, <laughs> thanks, thanks. All right. So we got some really cool um, leaders up on board. But if you guys see all these tables around us, every table, um, every small group leader will be there, so you can see them, introduce yourself to them. They will introduce yourself to that to you, hopefully. Um, and we're really just really, 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 really excited about groups and we just want you to see them face to face versus just putting them up here and labeling them Um, because they're people they're humans they're scared too so go meet them please make the roundabout and then um, if you have children the people in the back room do know that it'll be a 10-15 minute extra wait around so we're good right I don't know are they no the catalogs are at the table Thank you. And you can sign up right there just on a list, and they'll let you know. Um, the really cool thing, too, that I forgot we forgot to mention first service is we are doing a child care reimbursement, so partial reimbursement. And each group leader will be able to explain to you what that is. Um, and that's not just if you need it. That's just, hey, we want to get you in a group. So don't let kids be your excuse. I got two of them. I can't. Right. Thank you, Des. Groups are going to be great. Number three. Pair up to apprentice leaders. If you're a leader here at Connect, pair up. Uh, We'll be talking about that in a couple of weeks. And then lastly, pair up to launch new groups, launch new campuses, launch new churches. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the vision that you're giving us. Thank you for the opportunity to partner with you to help people reconnect to God. I pray, Lord, that you'll light a fire in our hearts to cast the nets wide and I pray that you will supernaturally arrange these discipleship relationships 
so that we'll get connected with people and grow and grow and become all that you've created us to be. And we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.